The topics and themes on our program are generally adult in nature and may contain explicit language. Therefore, these conversations may not be suitable for younger audiences. What does being typed out, typed out. Typed out. Typed out. Typed out. Typed out. Typed out. mean to you? Telling your own story. It's just really, truly being who you hey, are. Hey, this is me. This is who I am. And Labels this is my space. Categorize. So we can be identified and for that reason to be excluded. The way that we integrate people into society or do not. To literally write my name and leave my ink print in the world of stories to come. <laughs> and that's it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm here and uh, I exist. This is the Typed Out, Typed out. Typed out. Typed out Podcast. Hello, everyone. Uh, if you are just joining us, welcome to the Typed Out Podcast. I am your host, Nick Polifrone. If you are coming back, welcome back. We appreciate you as always. And what do you think of our new intro? That's something I cut together just to celebrate the many voices and guests that we've had here on the podcast so far. So uh, I would love to hear your input on it. If it gets your thumbs up or thumbs down, let me know. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. That's typedout.co. You can also follow our Facebook page, which is typed out on the Facebook. Would love to hear any and all feedback that you have regarding the intro, regarding the show, um, and perhaps any topics upcoming that you would like to hear about or people you would like to hear from as well. Today, super excited to chat with the lovely and talented Emily Gao, who is a poet. Um, I f was connected with Emily through Lorna Espejo, who runs Yellow Ranger and also the You Had Me at Yellow podcast, both of which center around the Asian American experience and really kind of promoting visibility uh, there. So definitely check out Lauren Espejo, Yellow Ranger, You Had Me at Yellow, all of which you can find on Instagram. And you will hear from Emily herself as far as her social plugs but I promise you her work is not to be missed. But before we get into that interview, just one more housekeeping thing. On Thursday, May 16th, Typed Out will be celebrating our first birthday. We just turned one. Woo -woo. So we are doing an open mic and trivia night that's going to be at DSK Beer Garden in Brooklyn, Fort Greene, Brooklyn, if you are familiar. That's going to be from 8 to 11 p.m. So we're going to be doing a round of trivia, a performance, round of trivia, performance. It's going to be great. And if you have joined us for our previous open mic nights, you know that the talent is not to be missed. So if you would like to perform, drop us a line. As I mentioned, you can find us through all social. And if you love trivia, bring your friends. It's going to be a lot of fun. There will be prizes to be awarded. It will be just a great, good awesome time. So really looking forward to that. Again, it's going to be Thursday, May 16th, DSK Beer Garden in Brooklyn from 8 to 11 p.m. Bring you, bring your friends, come hang out, and let's celebrate. Okay, well, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into my conversation with Emily Gao. Here we go. My guest today is poet and journalist Emily Gao, or as some of you may know her, M Dash. Emily's stunning work can be found on Instagram, and she's also the host of her own podcast, Yellownin. Aside from sharing her poetry on social media, Emily can also be found at local open mics in San Diego and LA, and is a strong advocate for storytelling as a means of healing. Emily, thank you so much for joining me today. 
Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. Yes. And it's, I feel like it's been a long time coming because I've been admiring your work from afar. Oh my and gosh. Stop. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I just have to say, I love that your nickname is M Dash because that's probably my favorite like form of punctuation. Thank you. It is my favorite too. And it was actually, um, the origin story is that my, my, uh, my senior crush in high school, we were on the same paper and he would call me that. So okay yeah way back <laughs> yes and for anyone that's like what the hell is an m dash it's that longer line that you see like i use it in all of my writing but it's like not just a dash it's an m dash she's a little longer she yes. has you know some length to her so she that's an great. m dash highly yes. recommend using her if yes. you are a writer <laughs> And You're if missing you, out. Exactly. And if you really want to know what an M dash is, you should be joining or following Emily on her accounts, which will plug <laughs> all of those wonderful things later. But um, first, as we all know, this podcast is made possible by audible.com. Emily, as a writer and reader, you must have a recommendation. I do. Um, I highly recommend Becoming by Michelle Obama. And she also is the one reading it to you. So yes. you're basically in the same room with yes. Michelle freaking Obama. Story time with Flotus. And can yes. I say, that is <laughs> the third time that book has been recommended. So everyone listening, if you have not listened along to your version of Becoming, you should be jumping on to audibletrial.com forward slash typed out. 30-day trial for you, and you can listen along to Michelle Obama narrate her own autobiography, Becoming, for free. So you should be doing that. And thank you to Emily for that recommendation. Beautiful. Yeah. So, Emily, question for you. Yes. What does typed out mean to you? Typed out means to me, it means telling your own story before someone else does. Because I feel like having agency over your own narrative is so important because if you don't tell your story, someone else will. And I think that by telling your own story, you kind of get to shape how you're being seen and like how your narrative is taken and how your identity is perceived. And I think with, um, you know, we just have a very traditional um, cis heteronormative uh Eurocentric nar narratives going on and if you even flip through history books that are passed out at schools that's also the case so I think the importance of knowing how valuable it is to tell your own story I think that's what I that's what comes to mind when I hear typed out um, with that in mind do you mind telling our listeners a little bit more about yourself where you come from the work that you do all the things yes um, okay I was Born in St. Louis, Missouri, but then I moved to San Diego when I was about four. Um, and I grew up there, you know, did the whole elementary, middle, high school. And then in, you know, for college, I moved it on up to LA and I have been in LA ever since. And I guess in terms of like writing, I've really been writing since I was in elementary school. We'd have, I clearly remember in like, even as far back as like fourth or fifth grade, we'd have these assignments to write short stories and like share them with the class and everybody would write, you know, like paragraph stories or whatever. And I'd go up there with like three full pages and like be up there taking up. I could just feel the frustration of my teacher being like, okay, Emily's <laughs> about to read a novella again. Like, here we go. But you know, I had like storylines. I had character arc. Like I was on it before, you know, 
HBO could have called me in the fifth grade, but that is beyond the point. Um, so yeah, I've been writing forever. Um, I think I kind of fell into spoken word about spoken word poetry um, and poetry in general. I think I fell into it about a year and a half, about two years ago now. Um, mm-hmm. And it actually came from a really bad depressive episode. And I remember I was just in this place where I couldn't write full prose anymore. And it was really startling. Everything I was writing, to me at that time, everything I was writing just seemed like fragments. It just seemed very disjointed um, because that's all I could really produce at the time. And I remember showing that to a friend and she was like, hey, this is kind of like spoken word. This is kind of poetry. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, this is just you know, fragments in my head, but, you know, the more I sat with it and after she said that, I was kind of like, oh, like, maybe I really do have something, you know, worth, that's presentable here. Um, and after that, I just kind of kept going with it, and I, um, I was fortunate enough to be in a very, although I'm not with this person anymore, I was in a very loving relationship, and that person encouraged me to start sharing my poetry on a larger platform, so I started an Instagram for it, um, and ever since then, I've really just been um, keeping active, posting on it as much as I can, and just like meeting new artists like you, and meeting great people through the poetry community, um, yeah, and ever since then, I've just been expanding my platforms of storytelling I guess and really just um, building readership finding other poets that I like um, yeah and just continuing on the journey of like what can I do to storytell and how can I do that to the best of my capabilities yeah well one thank you for that and two I feel like the the sort of influence that mental health can have over writing is something that isn't really addressed Um, And I happened to be at a Comic-Con panel uh, last year, so 2018, and it was, do you know who Patrick Rothfuss is? He's the author of, um, oh gosh, uh, Name of the Wind series. No, I don't know that. I do not know that, actually. Okay, so he's got, it's, it's meant to be a trilogy. He has only two books out, and he was very candid in his panel discussion, and he addressed because... It's been, I think, close to 20 years. I could be wrong about that, but it's at least been a decade since um, since the third book has been pending. And a lot of people are, you know, very insistent about asking him where it is in the same vein that they are with George R. R. Martin. And he was very candid in the way that he opened up about how um, he's been suffering some mental issues, like how mental health has been uh impeding his ability to write and he was like you know if a plumber breaks his arm it prevents him from plumbing you know Mm -hmm. and the same thing like if it was a basketball player if they were to break their leg they would Mm -hmm. be impeded from participating or playing basketball he goes with a writer everything is coming from your brain like you use your brain and your hands to write um and he goes if your brain's not working or it's suffering through something at the moment, it really affects the way that you write, you know? And especially when you get to a level of creating work that really resonates with an audience and people become expectant. Yeah. Like I can only imagine the pressure of like people saying, generate something, come out with this book. Mm -hmm. They're, They're rabid for your writing, but yet you find yourself, I mean, we're talking beyond writer's block. We're not talking like, 
figuring out plotting, but more so like it might be depression or anxiety or something else going on that is preventing you from even sitting down at your desk and writing. Yes, absolutely. That's so well said. Yeah, I like I'm 100% on board with that. I agree. Yeah. And so what has like from your own experience, Emily, what has really inspired you and your work? Like what where does where does this beautiful poetry come from? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I think many different things. I think I guess like at the core of it, like my identity so being like a chinese american um you know neuro troubled uh you know i'm bipolar so Mm -hmm. that factors into it i'm the daughter of immigrants so of course that factors into it yeah um you know where i am with my sexuality fluctuates and that factors into it too um just so many different things i think kind of factor into that in like in the process of working out these questions of like who am i what am i doing i think every time i write i get closer to the real answer of that and in the process of figuring out those answers poems kind of come out of that yeah um and i also think just like reflecting upon relationships that i have had whether that be romantic or platonic i think i learn a lot from you know, interpersonal relationships with people. So I think that's another source of influence for me. Um, and of course, like any writer, I have writers that I like to emulate or, you know, they write about topics that I think are really interesting. So I want to jump on that too. Um, so I think that's another place, but I, I guess those are like the three. Yeah. I guess those are the three branches of things that I think my, my thoughts kind of flow from. Yeah. Yeah. And every time I read a poem of yours, like I just it really feels like this sort of crucible of like identity, you know, like even you have some really powerful stuff about um, just the female experience as well, you know, and Mm -hmm. and sort of like navigating the world in a way in which I'm there's a huge patriarchal perspective and, Mm -hmm. you know, limitation, as it were, as far as like the way a woman is perceived. Right. Yeah. So are you familiar with, um, this just popped into my head, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert. She's the author of Eat, Pray, Love and also Big Magic. I, I know her work. I am okay. not very familiar, but I know her. Yes. The answer you, is yes. I've, okay. I've seen her TED talk. <laughs> yes. Which is exactly what I'm about to reference. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. She talks about uh, a poet and I forget her name. Forgive me. But she would say that the words would travel through her. Like she could feel them coming as if they were like like a steam train rolling down the hills. She would say that she would be out in the yard gardening and she could feel a poem heading towards her. And her mission was to get inside the house to grab pen and paper as soon as like the words started uh, coming and she would be able to write down a poem as if it was like passing through her. That and is she, so cool. Isn't that I crazy? Love that. Yes. Okay. I remember. I know what you're referencing. Yes. I remember that now. Yes. So my question is, do you find that sort of relationship with words for yourself or like, is there like a sort of way that poems come to you or is it more of like, um, is it less organic and spiritual than that? And more like, I guess, inspired by something where there's a little bit more like uh, proofing to it. I definitely, 
I think there's two sides to the coin. I think, yes, I completely can relate to that feeling she's talking about of just, like, minding your own goddamn business and then somehow <laughs> these words just come knocking on your front door and you're like, okay, I need to tend to this. Like, I need to invite them into the house. I need to, like, get the tea ready and all that stuff. Um, so I do really relate to what she's saying about words coming to be like that because I absolutely agree that is that is a creative process that I can relate to. But then the other side of that, I think there are other times where the words don't come that easily. They don't come knocking at your door. Yeah. Um, and those are times where you kind of need to think back about, okay, like, what am I really feeling? Where am I right now? Like, what's a topic that's really po- like um, pertinent to me right now? Um, so I think there's two routes to creating. Um, of course, like being a creative, yeah, there are times where inspiration strikes you, but you also need to navigate like when that's not always the case and like how are you able to still create even when inspiration isn't like, you know, running towards you with arms wide open across like a field of flowers or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, that's also the pursuit of the creative, right? Where mm-hmm. it's, it's not always having something readily present at your fingertips or that idea that's like, oh my God, all I have to do is jump into this. And it's been sitting there waiting for me to grasp it for the longest time. Yes. But also like when you have um, sort of already brought that creative idea into the world and it's moving on to the next, um, which is yet another thing that Elizabeth Gilbert talks about. And I love how she addresses this specifically in Big Magic, where it's like how people will limit what you are capable of creating as a creator where it's like if you come out with something that is prominent people will say well you've you've done your life's work already so oh, how does I that have, feel you know what? someone recommended me to read big magic i didn't know that that was the same person oh wow okay yeah it is sorry, so good please sorry to interrupt you i just <laughs> no. had to, like okay but yes keep going you were saying oh yeah so it's just like that that sort of like limitation that society puts on creatives where it's just like you know it goes two ways, right? Where it's like, oh, are you still doing that like poetry thing that you enjoy? Where it's like they, mm-hmm. they belittle it. And then, you know, when your book comes out, because I'm just going to put that out there for you. Oh my gosh. Um, well, it's a goal. We're getting there. She's, she's getting there. <laughs> I fully believe it. I truly fully Thank believe you. it. So, oh my gosh. Thank you. Um, but it's like, again, when that book comes out and people are like, okay, well, well now what? You know, since your mm. quote unquote greatest work is behind you, what's left for for you as if um as if you're not capable of creating anything else so that that sort of like give and take as a creator the relationship with your own creativity where it's like things don't always come easily things aren't as you said running across a field of flowers waiting to leap into open arms yes so but uh what what are the things that do inspire you or that you're curious about investigating now emily yeah, um, I think a topic that's been really on my mind, I guess two things that I'm thinking a lot about. One is that recently for a um, an assignment, because your girl's still trying to get that degree, so for an assignment, um, I had to interview my father about his experience immigrating to um, the U.S. from wow. China. Um, and it was just like a very difficult conversation because he wasn't, for how talkative my dad can be, in this conversation, he wasn't giving long answers. Like, I would ask him a question, and he would reply with, like, a yes or no. It was, like, very, it was very terse. And I understand reflecting on painful trauma can be, like, very difficult to talk about. So I guess just exploring that intergenerational 
um, relationship of like what it means to be the daughter of immigrants. And I just, I guess like particularly, how do I, how do I acknowledge the pain that my parents went through without invalidating my own? Because I feel like sometimes I personally go through things of like, okay, this is bad, but like you didn't leave a war-torn country. Like the, the bar right. is unfairly high. And I feel like sometimes that comparison really makes me like invalidate my feelings or like kind of like brush things aside or allows myself to gaslight myself. So that's like one thing that I'm interested in exploring. Just like how does one balance that identity without, you know, foregoing one for the other? Yeah. And I guess the other thing would just be like, I mean, I just I'm I just entered my early twenties, so I guess like some kind of writing about I, I don't feel like aging is not the right verb, but just like <laughs> what it means to like enter your twenties and like be in this period of transition. Like everybody's like I was just saying this to a friend, like I don't know where I'm gonna be like season to like in the summer, like I don't even know what city I'm gonna be in yet. So it's yeah. like I feel like it's such a transitory time. I, and I'm like I mean I don't. I know that's not unusual for people in their twenties, but I feel like that was like a recent realization for me, where it's kind of like I'm always kind of in this ebb and flow, and like, how does that? If I put like words to that feeling, like, what would that like look like? Yeah. yeah. Is there one thing that like people might not readily perceive about the relationship between a first generation child and and their parents who have emigrated here? Is there something that like we might not readily understand that you're willing to share? I guess a piece that I wrote recently about that is just like the idea of how do we show affection? How do we show love? Um, and that like, for better or for worse, the idea that we have of love is very, at least in the US, I'll say for the sense, you know, we're in the US, um, yeah. is that love is very, it's very colonized, it's very westernized hmm. um, in the ways that we, you know, like you, to, to, show, to say that I, lo I love you is like, that's the way that we say I love you. Yeah. Whereas I feel like when you're, when you have immigrant parents, they might not be openly affectionate. They might not be, you know, showering you with I love you or like hugs and kisses and whatever, but they're showing you that they love you in many other ways, whether that be like cooking your favorite meal or like grabbing the snacks you always wanted or like taking you certain places. Like it might not be verbal per se, but there's many actions that show um, that they do love you. And I yeah. think that's something that like um, a lot of immigrant kiddos probably have to reconcile with. <laughs> right. Especially when you're around your peers who probably receive that verbal confirmation of love. Yeah, you know? exactly. Where it's like, oh, my, well, my parents aren't necessarily saying it, but I would argue that actions go much further than words do. Yeah, um, I agree. But words can be equally as powerful if they, if they really have the energy behind them and the intent sure. behind them. Mm -hmm. I so, agree. Yeah. Is there anything that you're responding to maybe that you see socially or culturally or even politically right now that that you investigate i know that you also um are investigating some journalism work correct yeah yeah um let's see i guess that's like kind of like a two-part question so i mean obviously our our current president is egregious he's <laughs> trash so i know i could probably be writing more about that but i honestly feel like just writing about identity and like being open about 
uh, like who I am is already kind of a, in a way a form of resistance. So it's it's kind of like an F you to the president without saying blatantly like F you to the president. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that is one way that I'm doing that. And then I guess for my journalism, my journalism is mainly um, in the in the world of arts and entertainment. So I just have the privilege of being able to sit down with um, really uh, a lot of predominantly Asian American um, artists of different backgrounds. And just mm -hmm. like, I have the, um, I'm just lucky enough that they're entrusting me to relay their story to the world. So um, yeah, through their interviews, it's just kind of like getting to do, you know, featurettes in a way of like where they're coming from and like how they got into their work and like what inspires them and all that good stuff. Um, so I think, you know, in sharing marginalized stories, again, again, it's not a direct, F you to anything political, but in a way it's like expanding the narrative of like what we think Asian Americans can do and like breaking stereotypical thoughts of what they can do. And um, I think that's really cool. And I, I really yeah. enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Is there like through the work that you've been doing, whether it's your poetry or journalism or even just people that you're coming in contact through these sort of um, interviews that you're conducting, is there anyone that has really inspired you? Yeah. Um... Oh, so good. Um, I got to talk to a Asian American poet. His name is Phil Kay. Actually, he's from Brooklyn, or he lives in hey, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, so your neck of the woods, but yes. he is an incredible poet. Like he has amassed like millions of views on YouTube with his stuff. But he's just like, see, and he's been in the game for probably like a decade now. Okay. Um, but his work is just so honest and well articulated and just so inspiring and like getting the chance even though it was just a phone call like just getting to talk to him for like 30 45 minutes and like hear him expand about his story hear him really just explain where he was coming from and how he creates the way that he creates um was just amazing and uh, and i i did fangirl during the interview but like, as soon as we were done interviewing him i was just like hey by the way like i saw you perform in person da, da, da. you know like i had my moment but like, yeah just getting to talk to him was so cool and like it was it, it came about completely randomly like I was I think we were trying to get him to come to my school to perform or something like that but then it didn't work out so then I just shot an email like I just um shoot your shot as they say and I just <laughs> I just reached out and I was like hey like you know I I do this journalism thing like do you want to be interviewed like could you be interviewed and I you know, like they actually agreed to do it, like no compensation and they just did it pro bono. So amazing. Yeah. Really nice guy. And just like completely, um, I know there's that thing of like, don't meet your idols, like, cause yeah. they'll let you down. But like, that was like a meeting moment of like meeting your idol and being like completely met, like where you thought you would be met. So yeah, really cool. Great guy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really reassuring when you meet somebody whose work you admire and then the person behind it is like, you can see that they're the reason why they're influential is because that they're bringing such goodness yes. and light to the work that they create. So yeah. it's just so much more reassuring than if they were to be like a complete douchebag. Completely. I had that. Um, this is just like out of performance, but like, yeah, I had the, the pleasure of um, meeting Todrick Hall. And that was also like, yes, a moment Todrick. Where I, I was like, wow, this guy, he like, I understand, like, I understand why, like, your besties with Taylor Swift and like your friends with Beyonce, like you're just like wonderful and mm. amazing. And yeah, that was another moment where it looks like le lived up to ex expectations for sure. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Cause I love the work that he creates as well. Mm -hmm. 
it's so celebratory of like the community and just like he's so good so good yeah so wonderful so in in your journalism i i imagine this must tie into your podcast yellow yes, do you mind yeah. sharing a bit more about what you cover in that podcast and perhaps yeah. where we can listen along yes okay well um it's broken up into segments so depending on whether or not we have a guest the first you know we'll do the intro and then we'll have the guest on um and we primarily focus on getting artists of color on there so Mm -hmm. because we're trying to build you know cross ethnic solidarity but then it's broken into segments from there so we have um we have therapy tea slash shit my therapist says which is a segment dedicated to like destigmatizing mental health and like what we learn in therapy some self-care tips um then we have love galore which is like our like love conundrums romantic quandaries all that good stuff right there then we got um, what's poppin which is like what's going on in the culture news like news updates and then we have yellow excellence which is like highlighting an asian american person doing good in the community and then we end with our advice column which is like questions from the listeners so yeah that's like our that's the rundown of what we do it's kind of like a little variety podcast i would say yeah and it's you and a co-host correct yes it's my good friend sarah cook she's a singer songwriter from san diego and we actually record the podcast over the phone so it's kind of like listening in on a conversation with us yeah love it yeah yeah oh and it's on it's on all major podcast platforms so you know google play spotify soundcloud itunes spotify yeah all that yeah all right well typed out listeners we can only encourage jumping over to any of your favorite uh, listening platforms and following along with uh, Emily and Sarah for Yellownin. So check in, listen along, and it sounds like it's pretty aligned with what Typed Out is trying to um, to accomplish. So if you enjoy listening to us, definitely check out Yellownin. Thank um, you. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Of course. Of course. And I know that one other thing that is super important to you, Emily, is how art can be a form of therapy or like a medium for therapy yeah yeah um well i guess like first of all i don't think art can be a replacement for therapy but Mm -hmm. i think art can be therapeutic i think sometimes artists might go askew (laughs) at least from what (laughs) i observe of treating their art like it is therapy when it's really not um but it can be, you know, a great form of something therapeutic, um, even if it can't be a replacement for like a, a real life or yeah, a real life therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think like personally for me, like especially after being diagnosed with bipolar disorder like a year and a half ago and going, I, there, was a, there was a period of time last year where I did not, from January to October, I did not pick up a pen, like I could not write, like I was just, to go back to what you were saying earlier, like I just could not get things down on paper like I was just not writing I was not in a place to do that but you know like once I was you know to get me out of that like writing really helped me like get out of a slump and like once I just started in a way like forcing myself to practice writing a little bit like I think that just helped me grow and I think it came from a place of healing for sure and that like helped me realize um where my voice was even though my voice had been lost for you know months at that point um I think just like it helped me cope with the diagnosis so much more it helped me like figure out what I wanted to say um it helped me get back in touch with the Instagram poetry community that had been so supportive of like everything that I've been doing um it helped me get involved um 
you know, in the flesh too. Like I started to go back to the open mics in San Diego that I was familiar with. Um, so yeah, I feel like, oh, and I did, and I did find, I found a new therapist during that time too. So like, I think just like being able to use art as a catalyst to heal, um, was really powerful for me. Um, and I think that it meant a lot to be able to do that. Cause I think sometimes once you start to commodify art, um, and not that I'm complaining about getting paid to do like for poetry or whatever, yeah. but I, I just, I think like something that I've noticed, whether you're commodifying it for a competition, whether you're trying to write for a certain score or you're, you know, you're commodifying it because someone's paying you to write something for them. Um, I think what I've noticed is that sometimes you kind of lose that feeling of, um, you know, you're writing for you, you're writing to be honest and you're writing to share stories. Like you're not writing to get the highest score in a competition. You're not writing to, you know, get whatever paycheck is promised to you. But like, I think sometimes that can be lost when you commodify, but, um, yeah, I think just remembering the root of it is that like art is a form of healing. Um, yeah. and that it's like incredibly powerful in that way from whatever, for whatever you're going through. Um, not just particularly like if you're bipolar like me, whatever you're going through, I think it can be just like such a glorious tool to do that. Um, and it can just lead to so many doors. And um, I know that for me, like keeping a schedule of like posting once a week has like kept me like accountable to create um, on a regular basis. Um, yeah. So that's been like really good for me, just like keeping me in a schedule. Yeah. Yeah. And I would argue that the art that you create should be for you first and foremost. Yes. You know, yeah. and then like if people want to give you money for it, wonderful. But and it's also a great way to sort of put into it's it's a great way to take something that may be residing inside and put form to it if words won't do the trick, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's just one it's just one step to sort of expressing yourself. And we know how powerful expressing yourself can be. And uh, I think it was our most recent podcast in which I was speaking with Nathan Mansky about how like when you give words to the thing that you've been grappling with it finally feels less burdensome you know and if you could do that through art like if you can't find the words to express it if you can do it through like writing a poem even though that poem is abstract but it's capturing the way that you're feeling or like you uh it's artwork or you know watercolor smudge work whatever it happens to be if it makes you feel a little bit lighter by getting that thing outside of you do it Mm -hmm. You know, and as you said, it doesn't always have to be a replacement or a surrogate for therapy, but it can definitely be one step towards it. Yes, I agree. So, Emily, if you don't mind, and this is probably putting you on the spot and you can absolutely say no because we're all about consent. <laughs> <laughs> would you be willing to share one of your poems with us? Yeah, I would love to. Do you have a request or is this really like whatever I want it to be? Whatever you want. Okay. Um, let me pull them up. Okay. We are in for a treat. Oh my gosh. Too kind, too kind. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> As I said, we're looking forward to that book. So. Oh my gosh. And Thank then maybe you. like a poet laureate title to come with it. Oh my gosh, that is that is so kind. Thank you. You're yeah. so sweet. Have we had um, an Asian American poet laureate? Do you know? 
I don't know, but I know that different cities have their own por- poet laureates. Actually, my, one of my friends is the poet laureate of Jersey City, so like kind of near you. Oh, hey. Um, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. That'd be pretty amazing. I'm going to look um, that up right now. Survey says there has not been an Asian American named poet laureate. So wow. I'm just going to nominate you for that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. So whoever makes that decision, I think, I don't know (laughs) if it's the National Endowment for the Arts, but whoever it is, um, I'm just going to throw in the hat for your consideration for 2020 Poet Laureate of the Year. Oh my gosh. I got a ways to go, but you are kind. Thank you. Um, One can dream. Um, Okay. So here's a poem. It is called Patriotic. Should I just, should I just go for it? Go for it. Okay. I wonder what it's like to be white in the United States of America, to be part of the majority, to see myself reflected on screen, to sunburn easily, to never be a minority in the room, to hear things default to my native language, to carry a legacy of colonization, to have my ancestry permanently taught in schools, to find my food wherever I go, to not have my history delegated to a month, to travel without being suspect, to have people assume I was born here, to treat other cultures like Halloween costumes, to be able to whitewash characters, to feel so limitless. I wonder what it's like to be white in the United States of America. Damn. (laughs) Remember when I was like, do you have anything like politically geared? Right there. It's all right there. I love it. Yeah, there's one. There's one for you. brilliant and are you, you do you have any shows upcoming um in the san diego or la area that our listeners in that neck of the woods might be able to come and I hear do. some i have um two shows in san diego they're a little bit spaced one is on june 1st okay um it's with uh it's the show is called mosaic and the theme is policing um so i'm going to be doing a piece there on june 1st and then okay. i have a show on august 22nd also in San Diego. It's um, at La Palabra. Yes. Amazing. And where can we follow you to find not only more of your poetry, but also updates on when we can come and see you live? You can follow me at mdashery on Instagram. And that is where I post all my updates, all my poems, all the good stuff. Um, and then you can also follow me at Emily Gao, which is my G-A-O is the last name. It's my personal Instagram. You can find me there, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm on the platforms. <laughs> yes. As we all are these days, yes, right? As all the young whippersnappers are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I count as a young whippersnapper anymore, but <laughs> bless you. <laughs> Uh, and also don't forget about Yellowin, which uh, there's an Instagram for that as well, correct? Yes, there's an Instagram for that. And like I said earlier, we are on all major platforms. We post monthly. So yes, subscribe to us. Listen to the goodness that is Yellowin. Yes. Well, Emily, I just want to thank you for coming on the Typed Out podcast today and for sharing your work and your experience. And I just can't say how much I look forward to seeing more of your work and again, that book. <laughs> thank you. Oh, you're yeah. so sweet. Thank you so much. I really had, this was a good time. Thank you. Thanks for hosting. Yeah, absolutely. And again, for everyone listening, if you want to listen along to Emily's recommendation, which is Becoming by the one and only Michelle Obama, you are going to go to audibletrial.com forward slash typed out. Get yourself set up on that 30-day trial and you can listen along to Michelle Flotus Obama narrate to you her autobiography, Becoming. 
And then also with all of our favorite content, please rate and review us. You can do so on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And you can listen along to this episode on our website, www.typedout.co. And also, speaking of open mic nights, if you are based in Brooklyn, we will be having our anniversary open mic night at DSK Beer Garden on May 16th. That's Thursday from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Yes, Emily, I wish you were in this neighborhood. I wish. Oh, I to love, come and join I love us. New York. I need to. I need to. I need to say hi to you next time I'm in the in your please. Neck of the yes, please do. So um, you'll be there with us in spirit, I know. And then if anybody wants to join us, please come out. It's going to be a great time. It will be an evening of mingling and listening to some great artists and just celebrating one year of typed out. So Yay. yeah. Well, Emily, thank you again. I have been your host, Nick Polyphone. This has been a typed out production. And we will see you all in two weeks' time when the Typed Out Podcast returns. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Emily. Thanks. Bye. Bye.